0: roped into it might be a strong word they posted on their facebook uh, so you eagerly applied. is what you're trying to say <laughs> they, they posted on their facebook we're filming a commercial uh please respond with your dance experience and i responded i get wedding drunk and dance and they're like you're perfect
1: okay ready
2: this is it this is the show What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association.
1: Pineapples don't grow in Michigan.
2: No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're gonna have some good guests.
1: What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan?
2: We can edit this if that's not right, right? (laughs) Emily, we're back. It's episode five. We have been off for a little while. Busy times at the MRLA. Uh, Any other state associations listening, don't do Capital Day and Pro Start in back-to-back weeks. Heavy lifts. Heavy lifts. We'll go into those in a little bit. But, Emily, this is coming out, this podcast, on Thursday, March 17th, which is?
1: St. Patrick's Day.
2: Oh, that's a big holiday for this industry. I still have, like, bitter memories of... March 2020, when all of the they they just kept telling us we have kegs and kegs and kegs of green beer. What do we do with them? We're not open. People can't come in. What do we
0: do with all these with all this green beer? Johnny, did you help them? We did. Uh, We had some programs where they had an expired keg. Uh, The the vendor who sold it to them very very graciously took that keg back. So there was a lot of wasted green beer uh, in 2020, which which it wasn't you know unfortunate and. Not the worst thing that happened in 2020, but definitely not one of the best things either.
1: Who is this person that you just kicked it to?
2: Informally. <laughs> listeners, that's John McNamara. The, the dulcet tones of one John McNamara, <laughs> our VP of Government Affairs, with us in, in the entirety of today's episode. He is our guest, whom we will interview at some point, uh, and is also with us for all of the hot segments uh, at the top. Some call this a little lazy on our part, not going outside to get a guest. I say... Some of the best talent in the state of Michigan is inside our own house. Welcome, John McNamara. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You didn't really have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, hit me. What's your St. Patrick's Day plan?
1: Oh, I'll be in the office all day. Smart. I'm gonna put and into the evening. Twelve hour day minimum. Perfect minimum.
2: All right, we'll ship in some some goodness for you if that helps.
1: Thank you. What are your plans, or what's your favorite tradition for St. Patrick's Day? Where do you go?
2: As a, a dad in his early to mid forties, it's a little different than it used to be. Uh, so my wife always makes the, the, the corned beef and the cab, the cabbage is gross. Can we just all be on the same page that the cabbage is not good? Yeah. It's tradition. And I, if I'm offending anyone of Irish heritage, I apologize, but the cabbage, is not good. The corned beef is great. I will always take the corned beef. And then I'll probably have one Guinness, and that'll be it. It's also, by the way, the first day of March Madness, so there's going to be a lot oh, of basketball yeah. going on in the Winslow household. Johnny,
0: what about you? This year I will be in fabulous Las Vegas, repeating Justin Winslow's bachelor party for my my good friend Josh. So look, looking forward to that. First time being in Vegas for the tournament. So None of those stories are eligible for this podcast.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, let's scrap this whole thing. Let's talk about that. <laughs>
0: Well, now I'm a little jealous.
2: That's why did we we bury the lead? lead. I'll be in the (laughs) office, and I'm going to be at home, and Johnny's going to be in Vegas. And we went with that story last. We should really work on this. We should rehearse a little
0: more before we come with that. So, how how many days in Vegas? Uh, Land Thursday, head out Sunday, come back Sunday morning. So, I think that's the appropriate amount of time. You don't want to be in Vegas longer than that. That that's what everyone tells me.
2: Nice. That'll be a good time. That'll be a very good time. All right. Let's segue. What's, our, what's the name, Emily? What are we going to go with for our current event segment today? Are we staying with Pineapple Express? Is it a keeper? I mean, the thousands of listeners out there, did they say, yes, keep Pineapple Express. That's the winner. Or no, let's keep going with new names every single time because it amuses me.
1: You know, I thought it would be funny to have a different name every time, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who would pick up on it or think it was funny. So we're going to roll with Pineapple Express.
2: It's good. I like it. It's
1: been your dream for many years to have something incorporated Pineapple Express. So
2: This is not a podcast for potheads. I just make that clear. Or it, swingers. Or swingers, but we will come up with some catchy titles and if they somehow relate to that world then, then then so be it, but that is not the focus of this podcast.
0: What about fans of early 2000s buddy comedies, Pineapple Express?
2: <laughs> please please share a little more. <laughs> Who's in I mean, that Who's in that movie? I don't even recall it. I believe it's Seth Rogen. Seth
1: Rogen and James Franco.
2: Oh, that's not the North Korea one. No. No, okay.
1: <laughs> that one's a little more recent.
2: Got it. So Pineapple Express, what are we talking about, Emily, today in the current event segment?
1: I think that we unfortunately have to hit on the two-year anniversary of COVID. I think it March 16th was the day that we were given till 5 p.m. to shut down indoor dining for all restaurants. I know that we are all sick of talking about COVID.
2: We've said that now for four podcasts, but go on.
1: But it is a part of our lives and still something the industry is dealing with. So two years, it's, it's strange. I feel like I've blacked out for most of it just from a peer crisis response. Yeah,
2: uh, rarely do we decline media opportunities because we believe it's our job to to get out there and aggressively represent the the needs of the industry. We decline to have commentary on the 2-year anniversary because we don't want to continue to dwell in that space. We are coming out of that era and we really want to move forward and have a conversation about what the future of this industry looks like and it feels like COVID just keeps wanting to drag us back, and there's, there's no medical reason that we need to, at this point, uh, keep dragging ourselves back. The, the last numbers I saw that were like 300 cases a day on average, that is the lowest since, frankly, summer 2020. When everyone was still not leaving their house at any point, so we're eager to move forward. I think I think our members are eager for us to help them move forward and and, and not dwell in this space anymore. So if you're wondering why you didn't see a lot of a lot of MRLA out there on the two year anniversary, it's because we are trying to turn the page and help this industry in the short term, but also turn the page long term for how we can uh, rise back up.
1: And I think it's that's not to say that we're not paying attention to the fact that obviously the industry is still reeling from the last two years and still needs a ton of support. But let's look to the future and not keep talking about COVID.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Big big news last week. Talk to us uh, about what the MRLA hosted last week. Two weeks ago. Oh, my God. It's been two weeks now.
1: Yeah. Last week was Capital Day, so I can see how you'd be confused. <laughs>
2: it's all one big blur. Go forward.
1: The Michigan ProStar competition. So ProStar is a... A high school program that teaches, we should have Amanda here, that teaches students
2: culinary arts and restaurant management and related skills. Yes. Sure does. There's Two-year program taught in 68 different career and tech centers across the state of Michigan. Over 5,000 students. At least there were we're we're building that back up. But we had our first competition statewide. All of these kids from across the state of Michigan competing with a chance to go to a national competition in Washington D.C. a little bit later this spring and it was a little smaller than we are accustomed to, but it's back. It was back in person and that's a big deal.
1: Still successful. It was here in Lansing at the Crown Plaza, which is a MRLA member, so shout out to them for hosting us. They had a they went through a, a renovation. And the hotel looks wonderful. I know it's not what we're talking about, but shout out Cindy Bowen. Shout out, but yeah, the ProStar competition was good. It was nice first one since 2019 because another anniversary. We had to shut that down three days before the event back in 2020, so it was it was a good event. The students were really excited to be there, and it was a cool community atmosphere. They did culinary, restaurant management, knife cuts, knowledge bowl, tabletop. Don't was, forget
2: about the nutrition competition.
1: Oh, nutrition. Oh, yeah. Who judged that?
2: Uh, my kids. The, the competition is fun because it's all about creating healthy meals that kids will somehow like, and the kids get to judge whether they're any good or not. And my kids were occasionally ruthless, <laughs> as they should be, as they should be. They, they demand high standards. <laughs> Johnny, it was your first one uh, that you got to witness in
0: person. What did you think? I, I thought it was awesome uh, to watch these kids come, and they're super knowledgeable. They're very passionate about the industry and, you know, to have this infrastructure and help create this infrastructure. It was really cool to see it in person for the first time. And I heard a little bit of it when we did it virtually last year. And obviously 2020 was a complete, complete loss, but cool to see the kids compete and know that hopefully, you know, these kids will help build back this industry once they graduate.
2: Yeah. I love ProStart. I mean, the professional take is, as it should be, which is that this is creating a passion and love for, for youth that may not have any other focus in their life at that point in time. And Start is the thing that they find that, that guides them on a career and, and makes clear to them that this is an industry that they can have a career. And it's that first step on the ladder. And that's important. And it's all true. But then you're there in person. And there's just a personal connection you see when you see a kid who has figured something out that has put everything they have into this competition and you see them succeed and frankly sometimes fail, but the memories that they create during that competition and it is intense, uh, will stay with them the rest of their life. And you, and you, you just see that in real time at, at someone who's at the most fundamental point in their life where you can see the decisions of what they're going to do with their life are, are endless and, and in front of them. And they found something that they uh, are passionate about and love. And it's great to watch that happen in person. It just every single year, it doesn't get old and, and, and that's what I love the most about ProStar. And I think it's what people, why people keep coming back year after year after year.
1: Yeah. I got choked up a few times just seeing how proud they are on the floor. You're like, wait, why am I feeling emotional about this? And it's
2: intense. And it's amazing to watch. So we have a team from Sanilac, the Sanilac County that is going to be going to the national competition. That was not uh, what someone might predict. That is not a team that is customarily in the, in the top tier. And so that's going to create opportunities for some of those kids that they otherwise would absolutely not have. And so I'm excited to see how they do. And, and also shout out to Plymouth Canton, a, a perennial powerhouse. Yes. Uh, and they won the restaurant management uh, competition. So they too will be going to Washington, D.C. for the national competition. I love it. Can't wait.
1: It'll be good. All right. Moving forward to the government affairs segment for Fork's sake. I think I'm just going to leave the room and let you guys... Cover
2: this one. Lot going on. So this is almost this is quasi GA, quasi current events. We had Capital Day, as I'm told last week. <laughs> so Johnny, Capital Day, your first one in person. What is Capital Day, and and how did it go?
0: Yeah, so Capital Day is an opportunity for MRLA members from all over the state to come to Lansing. They have sort of a quick briefing uh, at our headquarters of these are our priorities. This is what we're working on. You know, this is how to effectively advocate and and lobby and interact with legislators and then we sort of send them out, and they, they disperse and to the House, to the Senate, and they meet with their elected officials or, or you know people in the region or people for, from key committees and, and really get out there and say, this is why this is important, uh, and, th- and this is why we need the legislature's help. I thought it was overall a really good day. Members seemed to enjoy it. They seemed to really enjoy being able to interact with members. Maybe they've only talked to over Zoom or on the phone, and then ended the day with a Legislative reception from four to six and, and had a great turnout from that and some some great members who got to showcase some of the, the cool things they're working on.
2: Yeah, I'll take a national Coney Dog any day of the week if they're going to yep. make it available show. So shout out to
0: Dan Roman. Thank you for, for being
2: one of our sponsors. I, I, we were sort of the test case for a lot of the other associations and groups around town. We were one of the first, if not the first, to do a, a large scale in-person capital day. Uh, this spring. And, and we capped it. it. It wasn't because we didn't have the demand or interest from right. our members. We capped it at 100 and we hit that number early. We did. Uh, there there was a lot of interest and demand to, from from this industry to get out there and talk to their elected officials. We just didn't want to flood the zone too much too early with some of the elected officials. And, you know, cause we were accustomed to pulling 170, 180, maybe 200 people for a capital day in, in, a, in a traditional year. So this was a great start though. And I thought, I thought, our members did a great job, and it was clearly heard and known around the capital because we heard a lot of feedback Absolutely. afterwards. Yep.
1: Okay, Restaurant Revitalization Fund. I feel like we've hit on this in a lot of our episodes. It's been on. It's been off. Where are we now?
2: Johnny, it's your turn to share the news. I've-
0: uh, I've done my I, part. I I will I will break the bad news that RRF uh, is officially dead. There will not be a recapitalization. NRA tried their darndest, and I think tried every avenue possible, but the the political will just just wasn't there anymore on recapitalization. And it wasn't. They said, we just don't want to do RRF. The the political will was not there for a specific economic incentive plan for for any any industry. So. That's just going to make recapitalizing the Afflicted Business Grant Program at Michigan even that much more important here in the next, hopefully, couple weeks.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you made that transition transition because there are still a lot of state dollars out there, unlike most of the states uh, that surround us, and frankly, most of the states across the country who spent those federal dollars almost immediately. Michigan is unique in its inability to come together, even when there's just a pile of cash on the table. So we have only spent, we, Michigan, have only spent 26% of available federal COVID dollars, which is astonishing because almost every state around us is at 100%. So that at least allows this state and us the opportunity to continue to make the case if RRF is off the table, if, if we have moved past that era in Congress, that there's still a chance to bring some of these dollars in. The Afflicted Business Grant, we are in the middle of that application process right now. Throughout the entire month of March, you will have that process. And the last update I saw is over seven thousand applications have been started. Just shy of three thousand applications have been turned in. This is for four hundred nine million dollars available to help those businesses most impacted. A lot of them are restaurants. Not all of them are restaurants. A lot of barbers in there too. You might not, you might not realize in the mix. Our case, our, our argument now is there's still a lot of money hanging out there. This money clearly isn't going to come even remotely close to meeting the needs uh, of those who qualify. And unlike the RRF. It prorates the dollars, which is good and bad. RF gave a sizable amount of money to a very small amount of qualifying restaurants, less than about one in three, frankly, in Michigan, who qualified and applied uh, did did receive dollars. And there's a lot of, frankly, consternation that we didn't split those dollars out a little more broadly. And this is different. And, and, and it is prorated, these state dollars, which also means, though, that many of these small businesses might be getting very insignificant numbers. Right. So we're going to be making the case and advocating for another tranche of funding, at least another 409, and we'll see if we can we can do a little more from there. But that's, to me, the demand is clearly there,
0: and, and we'll, we'll continue to make that case. Johnny, how'd I do? I think you did great. And also, you know, there's this, this wonderful association that created this plan on how to spend some COVID dollars that a lot of other states have borrowed. It's true. We, we, we were one of the first states out of the gate. Why you got to trigger me? I'm,
2: I'm...
1: <laughs> the anger that fills his eyes.
2: We were proud of that platform and that plan we put together early on after the American Rescue Plan Act passed, and many other states did copy and were able to enact many of those policies in their own states. But as previously mentioned, most of those dollars are still unappropriated, so we will continue to make the case uh, that this industry deserves the lion's share.
1: Speaking of anniversaries, I think we're coming up on the one year of that proposal being pushed out.
2: Yeah, we are. We are. Thank you, Emily.
1: No problem. Okay, um, the last topic in this segment, I think, is short-term rental. Not to trigger anyone. I mean anymore. Airbnbs.
0: Who doesn't love an Airbnb, the
1: Johnny? RBO. Johnny, I'm
0: kicking it to you. There are there are plenty of people that. Do not love Airbnbs. As an association, we have no interest in, in completely getting rid of Airbnbs. Uh, what we would like to see happen is is a level playing field between Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, so a short term rental, and your traditional lodging facilities, so your hotels, your motels, resorts. I think we continue to get closer to that to that plan. Uh, we continue to have productive conversations with the Michigan Association of Realtors and the Michigan based lobbyist for Airbnb. We continue to talk and work through so hoping to get to a place where airbnbs can be in michigan and hotels can be in michigan and but they can be on a you know a more level playing field moving forward here in michigan. Yeah, I think we're getting closer. I this has just become a societal issue at this point that
2: the legislature is going to have to act on and the governor is going to have to lead on just because of, frankly, the, the level of success of, of the HomeAways, the VRBOs, and the Airbnbs, uh, when you're seeing 30% year over year growth in several years in a row, it is <laughs> it is not your niche cottage industry on the sideline, li- literally cottage right. industry, right? Nice. Uh, thank you. It is a massive economic driver in the state of Michigan, and, and we're not suggesting it should go backwards. We just need some parity because it's not, you know, we're not running out Johnny's old room above the garage. We are talking about corporations that have multiple properties properties that obviously don't live in any of these properties and are running what we like to call essentially illegal hotels. We just need some parity. If we're going to be running hotels, there needs to be standards that meet exactly what hotels are putting up to. And frankly, they need to pay into a system like hotels do to advertise and market the state of Michigan and market each of these regions. So we're getting there. We're not there yet, but we're
0: getting there. I'll get off my high horse, short-term rental. Yeah, well, I think it's also important to point out that that no state has been able to to figure this out. Arizona went way too far in the completely let's deregulate m- movement and is now trying to walk it back. So, Michigan has the opportunity to sort of build the you know best possible case scenario for what could be enacted in multiple states if Michigan can figure it out. So, looking forward to hopefully creating a bill that is imp- could be implemented just about anywhere, but started in Michigan.
2: Build it, Johnny, and they will come. <laughs> okay. We're going to kick it to our good friends at Gordon Food Service, sponsors of this association, leaders in the state of Michigan. We are happy to have John Kesterkey. John, take it away.
0: Gordon Food Service has supported restaurant and lodging customers for 125 years. Now more than ever, our partnership with the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association provides a collective voice in keeping our industry a place where memories are made. Gordon Food Service, here for 125 years, Here for good.
1: All right, we already briefly introed our guest today, but to be a little bit more formal about it, John McNamara is joining us or has already joined us. John, better known as JMC or J Mac or Johnny Mac, or just Johnny, as Justin calls him. ...is a highly respected government affairs specialist skilled at managing relations, influencing legislation, and navigating complex nuances within government channels.
2: That sounds sounds downright sexy, Johnny. Wow.
1: (laughs) Pulled directly from Johnny's resume. John is currently the Vice President of Government Affairs at the MRLA and has previously served as Legislative Director for the likes of State Representative Michael Weber and Senator Margaret O'Brien... Let's talk about dogs on patios. Most recently before joining Team MRLA, John served as manager of state government relations for McLaren Healthcare here in Lansing, and perhaps most importantly, forgot i put this in. Johnny has been dedicated to Michigan's hospitality industry long before his time at the MRLA as a volunteer for local restaurant commercials.
2: Oh, well, we're going to dive deep <laughs> into that one. It's what the, it's what the Lansing community demands and we're going to deliver.
1: Johnny Mac is also a diehard MSU fan and Don't resides agree. in East Lansing Joy. with his dog, Cassius. Nice. All right. Welcome. Okay. So we, we hit on uh, your, your previous work experience before joining Team MRLA, but you joined in February of 2020, joined us at the MRLA right before the world turned upside down. What was that experience like really jumping in full crisis mode?
2: And knowing what you know now, would you still take this job three weeks before COVID started? Go.
1: Asks uh, his boss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll, we'll we'll start with the first question and then maybe maybe we'll get to the second. But no, I mean, it was, I mean, at times massively overwhelming and at times, you know, y- you're just doing the best you can. But I, I think it was in a way, I you know, baptism by fire, I think could be a good way to go. And at the end of the day, it was nice to be able to be helpful to people all over the state that were in crisis, be able to, you know, help them, support them, try to get them information um, as they're moving forward. So, I mean, parts of it sucked. Parts of it were not fun at all. But at the end of the day, I think incredibly proud of what everyone at MRLA was able to do over these past two years to obviously not completely save everyone from closing, uh, but but play a critical role in, in helping those that did survive survive. And to your other question, I, I absolutely would. I'd do it all over again if I had the chance. So, you know, it was two years last month. Looking forward looking forward to, to many more.
1: Good answer. H-
0: Happy anniversary, Johnny. Thank you.
1: Okay. What, for those that may not know, what is the main function of a lobbyist? Who has them? Who doesn't? What, what do you do besides wear a coat around and I have this theory that all lobbyists own camel colored coats. It's this thing, it's this theory that I have Um, and go to dinners. What else do you do?
0: I mean, that's, that's a typical day. I go to Brooks Brothers and I buy a new camel hair coat and then I I go to dinner and then I go home. No. So the funny thing about, I think lobbying is one of the more misunderstood, uh, you know, sort of professional, professional roles out, out there, because at the end of the day, just about every single industry, every, anyone who has a job has a lobbyist. Somewhere along the line, because for better or for worse, you know the government tells many many people what they can and can't do, and you need someone boots on the ground to be able to say, hey, this is why this is a good idea, this is why that's a bad idea. So the way I, I sort of heard it best described to me is, so you're sort of like a sports agent, but for any, you know an, an industry, you're you're keeping an eye on it, looking around. And, and making connections so no days different but you know a, a fair amount of time in co- committee meetings listening tracking bills plenty of time standing outside of the house and the Senate chamber interacting with members interacting with staff to try to influence legislation obviously uh you know some some legislative fundraisers dinners golf outings uh you know it's it's a very sort of public facing public facing job which is one of the many reasons I enjoy it Johnny's underselling it a little bit, though, as well, because
2: when you are an association lobbyist, it may be one of the hardest, if not the hardest jobs in town, because you have to put all that time in, like a contractor, what we call here in Michigan, multi-client lobbyist does, to maintain all those relationships. But then you also have to be the policy expert. So you're not just out there uh, representing restaurants as an aside uh, or one of many clients. You have to be the expert on restaurant legislation and hotel legislation and the go-to on those. So you got to put time in there. And then you're also the head of communications for GA at the association. And Emily is very demanding. (laughs) We send out a lot of newsletters. And so Johnny's got to be able to make sure that the content in them actually reflects what's going on. That reflects the interests
0: of the industry. It is a lot to balance all of those things. So Johnny, kudos. Thank you very much. No, it's fine. You know, the policy expert is interesting because I got to have a meeting last week on everyone's favorite topic and I'm going to trigger you again of logoed glassware oh no that's that's so long ago i don't i can't you can't drag me that far back
1: i don't even know much about this topic <laughs>
2: it's best to keep it that way
0: <laughs> and, and and luckily the, the the bill that was proposed is is not gonna not gonna go so
2: yeah but listen this industry especially when you when we have incorporated hotels touches almost every single committee that's going on around town so you're tracking legislation across uh, numerous committees. You don't get to just focus on, let's say, right. reg reform, where a lot of the alcohol regulation uh, will go. But there's a lot of ag issues yep. on on food safety that come into play. Appropriations is obviously a big one for us right now. They go across virtually every. When I had John's job, I think I I think I tracked almost every single committee that existed. I think like the families. And Children
0: Committee might have been the one. Not a lot there and not a ton in military and vets. But other than that. Not yet. I've got ideas, but we'll (laughs) go forward.
1: Okay, speaking of old legislative priorities that apparently we're not allowed to talk about, what's one that you wish for our industry that you wish elected officials understood better?
0: You know, I think that sort of depends what I'm working on. Uh, You know, I wish a couple months ago everyone would have had a a better understanding on short-term rental, but I think the overall answer is the importance of the tip credit in Michigan. And for those of you who are not familiar with the tip credit, it is a way for uh, bars and restaurants, you know, servers make a tipped wage and then tips on top of that. If they do not make what the minimum wage is with their tips, um they get they get bumped up to the minimum wage. But there's this misnomer out there that you know servers only make three dollars an hour, and if they don't get any tips, then they walk home with with very little money, and that's not true. The average server in Michigan right now makes twenty four dollars an hour. and that's that's because of the tip credit. If you were to get rid of the tip credit, that that wage wouldn't happen, but also you know your breakfast special for four or five bucks with a coffee or your hamburger or two Coney special at lunch with a Coke for for 6 bucks is also likely not going to be a reality moving forward if if they have to pay the the server, you know, 14 15 dollars an hour. Good answer. It's the appropriate answer. Tip credit is the one that we have educated uh
2: legislators on forever and probably will forever more and it just it's it's never one that clicks immediately and requires a lot of a lot of reeducation. So, I I think that that's the right answer. Let's go origin stories here. Johnny, how did you decide this was something you wanted to do? Not necessarily this association, but getting involved in government affairs, specifically at the state level. Is this a lifelong dream and goal, something you
0: stumbled into accidentally? What's, what's the story here? I think like a lot of people here, this this all happened really completely by accident. We moved to Jackson the day before I started my freshman year of high school. So I walked in and knew literally nobody. But one of the first people I met, his dad at the time, was a second-year state rep. Shout out Clark Bisbee.
2: Whom I worked for (laughs) for approximately two months.
0: Oh. In 2002, right
2: out of college? Uh, Give me a sense of how old I am. Go
0: on. So, but got to know uh, his son, Leland well and he had a younger brother named Peter. And I, I sort of became the de facto Bisbee family travel partner, because if I was there, the kids wouldn't fight. In 2004, Clark then ran for Congress. And I helped out because it was my friend's dad, not that I even knew people worked and ran political campaigns or what this world was like. I and mean, unfortunately, Clark got absolutely destroyed. But two years later, I was lucky enough to work for the guy who beat him, Congressman Joe Schwartz. Joe lost that election. <laughs> After that, Worked on the McCain campaign for all of three weeks in Michigan before uh, Senator McCain dissolved his Michigan operations. So I was on a conference call with about 45 other people and got fired. And then finally in 2010, worked on a state house campaign um, and he won. And that was sort of my foray into working on staff in Lansing and as as many people do and Justin can, you know, it's very similar path of you're a front desk or you're a scheduler and then you start working on legislation and start building relationships with lobbyists and unfortunately the Michigan House of Representatives while a, a great place to work uh, is not the most lucrative lucrative career path in the world And eventually most people have to leave in order to you know start making money so they can maybe retire someday and that that became uh, lobbying for McLaren Healthcare for about two and a half years, and then obviously right before COVID, joining the association here. But have have always sort of had an eye on MRLA, and it had come up a few times. It had come up uh, right when I started working for Mike Weber. Didn't didn't apply then largely because, I, I mean, I was not ready, and also Justin had helped me get the job in Weber's office, so that would have been oddly odd. And then it came up a couple weeks after I started at McLaren, um, and I didn't feel like that would it would be right to leave then. But then finally, the, the opportunity presented itself, and was was ready to jump at it.
2: Pure kismet.
0: Two weeks before COVID. <laughs> right. So yeah, I w- went from healthcare to hospitality. I'm not sure which one would have been a a longer ride over the two years. But
2: here's a softball, Johnny. What's more fun to lobby for, healthcare or the hospitality industry? The hospitality industry. <laughs> I didn't even get the
1: question out. He was like, it isn't.
0: <laughs> It is that? Uh, yeah, doc. Doctors can be tough to interact with and 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 lobby for because they're they're Still t- talking about Joe Schwartz. I'm not talking about Joe Schwartz. Uh, they are, they're very smart people, and they don't always love that someone who does not have a strong medical background is advising them on how health policy sort of works and operates. We got it. There's an
2: intersection here that requires a story now because you brought up Joe Shores. We talked about health care. We talked about restaurants. The tie-in here and the obvious story that I was there for and it happened. We went down when we were just the MRA to celebrate Hans Schuler Schuler's restaurant, an original member of this association. An icon in the state of Michigan, Hans Schuler uh, was getting sort of a lifetime achievement award from Independent Restaurant Magazine. This is maybe in the early teens, uh, so there's a big celebration at the restaurant. Uh, the magazine is there for him to receive this award. It's a big deal if you're down in the Marshall area, so everyone is there. Joe Schwartz is there, uh, and Hans, who was an older gentleman at that time, uh, faints at the event, and we are terrified oh, that no. it was a worst outcome, and 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 it was. Uh, he went into the back with Joe Schwartz. I don't know what happened in that back room. Joe Schwartz saved a life. Hans came back out, actually finished the event, uh, and and gave a, a a brief speech on receiving the award. It was it was honestly a miraculous type situation, and I don't know why I brought the story up, other than you brought up Joe Schwartz and the tie-in of healthcare and the restaurant industry, and that was right. that story is an all-timer.
1: I did thought that think that story was going to end with. John was there or something. <laughs> no, that no. <Ben>, John saved.
0: <laughs> that that was where uh, Joe Schwartz's. It wasn't a victory party, but he lost. But that's where J- Joe Schwartz's 2006 election night event was. Uh, was also at Shuler's. Oh. So lots of Schuler's tie-ins here today. I like
2: that uh, Shuler's, By the way, adapting to the times, you know they're doing above Shuler's now. They are the restaurant remains, but above Shuler's, they are actually having some very hip condos available to to rent out now. So that is an an interesting development, in iconic Michigan restaurant.
1: I think they were doing something with a daycare, too, for their employees. I, I read an article on it, but I don't know all the details off the top of my head. We'll
2: follow up uh, in episode six. All right, I don't want to waste any more time not talking about what the people really came for, Johnny. And what may have almost cost Johnny getting this job in the first place... This is this is local Lansing lore. Anyone listening knows what Crunchies is. It is an East Lansing establishment that we all love and and hold dear to our heart. I have a lot of positive memories from my from my college days and plenty thereafter. At Crunchies, Crunchies makes some interesting commercials from time to time, and for reasons that are still unclear to me, Johnny was cast in one of them in the brightest of neon orange shirts. (laughs) And I believe the theme was rub your belly, rub your belly, rub your belly, was um, the theme? and yeah. And the tagline. And so there's, there's so, so many questions and directions <laughs> to go with this, Johnny. Uh, but this commercial came out like during the interview process and we all had to take a, uh, we, we took a <laughs> beat. We had to, to decide whether this was a net positive cause it is for the industry. <laughs> it is. Or whether this was so quirky, we we needed to reconsider everything we were considering. Uh, So, Johnny, tell us a little bit of the story. How did you get roped in to be doing a commercial for Crunchies? Why did you say yes? Where did the headband come from?
0: (laughs) And will there be any future commercials? Uh, so the roped into it might be a strong word. They posted on their Facebook. Uh, so you eagerly applied. is what you're trying to say. <laughs> they, they posted on their Facebook. We're filming a commercial. Uh, please respond with your dance experience. And I responded, I get wedding drunk and dance. And they're like, you're perfect. <laughs> this is exactly what we need. So we met at what at that time was the loft in downtown Lansing. Uh, and they had some very shiny sequin pants for me, a neon green, or sorry, neon orange shirt. Oh yeah, no, that is emblazoned. <laughs> I can't get that one out of that. Uh, that I still have, so maybe that is a silent auction item someday. <laughs> and as well as a headband, and then the theme music was uh, "Salt and Pepper Push It." Mm-hmm. It really uh, was. And you know, from there they they had a dance, but they also needed someone who who would just sort of sit there and look like an idiot. And they decided that was me. So I believe it went. Its first run on TV was at three uh, thirty. I think Justin sent me an email at four offering me the job, and I responded with, "Do you want?" I sent him the link on YouTube and said, "Do you want to reconsider?" Then I didn't hear anything for half an hour, forty five minutes, which made me thought maybe I shouldn't have sent that text. But, but luckily, it was it was well received by board members. State Senator Wayne Schmidt is a huge fan of it. Uh, he shows it to anyone who will see it, and that I believe the Winslow children are also. At one point, we're quite excited of, of my my cameo on the... Oh, no, Crunchies they still call you the,
2: oh, hey, dad, there's the rub your belly guy. <laughs> and we were. I remember us being at dinner somewhere in this area, and
0: the commercial was on on the TV in the background, and it just came up. It, it's it's one of the many unfortunate things COVID did is, unfortunately, uh, Mike Kruger at Crunchy's had to make the very tough decision to not run any commercials while his restaurant was closed. So... It only got about 10 days run on cable, but it it is on YouTube for anyone who wants to go out and try and find it.
2: I mean, it's a real sliding doors moment. You could be an international TV star at this point had it really gotten its full run. Yes. But here you are languishing at the MRLA. <laughs> That's a fascinating story. And my favorite is that I have captured it in full motion. So anyone, anytime any of our members want your contact information, anytime anyone wants your contact information, I send them that. And it's not just a picture of your head, it is you doing the full belly rub motion. Yeah. Because we're a professional organization just like this is a professional podcast.
1: Yeah, when Justin sent me your contact information, he shared the contacts so now that's just your image yeah. on my phone every time you call you me. Are,
0: you two are not the only two people in this town who have that stored in their phone as my picture. Would you do it again? Is there a chance for a, a second commercial? Anything. If, if crunchies needs me, uh, you know, put me in coach. I'm ready to play, but if they've got to move on also, I, I understand, you know, it's a, it's a whole new market out there and you know, they are, they are craft beer bar, which is great, but you know, the kids these days are all about the seltzers. So we'll, we'll see where they go moving forward. Uh, anyone else listening
2: that wants to any members or non-members alike that want to cast Johnny? I mean, listen, this is how we got crunchies. I believe as a member in the first place, Johnny gave us credibility. If you want to cast Johnny in your commercial and you are a prospect, I think we should be talking. I, I think I've also
0: easily personally covered whatever Crunchy's dues just <laughs> just with personal purchases at Crunchy. So you're dedicated to the cause, right? All right, Emily, let's get Johnny out of here. Uh,
2: what's your final question you want to ask?
1: That's a big ask. Okay, if if you can bring only one restaurant chain that's not currently in Michigan to the state of Michigan or any restaurant, doesn't have to be a chain. What would it be and why? that a good enough ender? Ender question.
0: Does he have one? We'll see. If it's not, we'll just edit this out. We'll try I again. Mean, th- there's a couple that that come to mind, but I would say there's a. Uh, when I was in Arizona for a conference, there was a little a place called Cold Beer and Cheeseburgers, um, and there's a couple of them. What do they serve? Uh, all vegan, uh, all <laughs> the time. Uh, and there's a couple sort of scattered throughout the Greater Phoenix Scottsdale area. But stopped in one night and had you know they had a little sort of slider appetizer and some great beer on tap so i think they they do well in a college college town like he's lansing it's not a bad call that's not a bad call
1: sound pretty straightforward cold beer cheeseburgers
0: it's a win
2: john mcnamara thanks for joining what's with the pineapple podcast thanks for having me <laughs>